0: get uh, get settled? Everyone have a study sheet? Who does not have a study sheet? Okay, we got hands up. Okay. Andy ran out of grace around 3, 3 p.m.
1: <laughs>
0: okay. All right. So keep your hands up if you need a study sheet. They're going to get passed to you. Uh, we're now going to start putting everything back on the back counter. So if you guys did not sign in, We're starting to track attendance again, so make sure that you sign in before you leave so we can make sure that we get... uh, Yeah, there you go. Okay, all right. So, we are on the one thing is needful, talking about potential pitfalls. And this is our third part of this uh, section. And we're going to be talking about mainly um, when it comes to your communication with God and you begin to grow in your walk with God. This is when you really start to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that's when you really become more engaged in the work of the Lord. And when this begins to happen, you will start to experience exponential growth in your life. And I would say for most of you, um, you guys are still just trying to figure this piece out. And that is completely fine. There's a lot of people that try to rush things. They try to rush past this phase into here, and they can't grow properly because they're not doing the first things properly. I mean, imagine if you've never played... I don't know. What's a sport you've never played? Anybody?
1: Hurling
0: or lacrosse. <laughs> okay, lacrosse, hurling. Pre- pretty close to the same thing. Hurling's <laughs> <early. laughs> one Yeah, hurling. So it's like, hey, I want to play. All right, so I purchased all the equipment, but I have no idea what the rules are. I don't know how the game is played. I'm just going to go out there and... <laughs> and just kind of go have fun. You can see this in action when you have little kids that play sports. It is quite amusing. When you see little kids playing soccer... And they all just hold around the ball. And it's just a giant crowd of kids that are going after it. Or basketball. And they're just hacking each other. And then there's, you know, no, the ball's that. Shoot, that hoop. That hoop. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of parallels to Christianity when it comes to that kind of stuff. But that's okay. It's how you learn how to play the game. And it's how you learn how to actually walk with God. So spend as much time as you need to right here. But there comes a point, and and maybe, I, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way before, But God will not teach you more than what you're being faithful in. So there are times in your life, and we're going to talk about this probably next week, where you start to hit ruts and plateaus. And what we're going to spend time talking about next week is that the ruts and plateaus exist is because there's probably something in your life you're not being obedient in. There's information that God has already taught you. There's wisdom that God's already given you, and you are not doing anything with it. So why would God give you more? If you're not being faithful with what he already gave you so there comes a point where you have to actually grow so putting this stuff into action you'll be more engaged in the work of the lord you'll be sharing your faith walking through those open doors you might have to invite people to church talk about what you believe and why you believe it giving people the gospel all that stuff and discipleship learning how to be a follower of jesus christ learning how to be the person that jesus was on this earth through your life and then you begin to grow. You need to learn how to more how to study the Bible. You start to memorize the Bible because it means something more to you. You start to disciple other people, and that's where you really begin to grow, and now you've got potential pitfalls. And so we've already talked about a couple things already, and that is personal sin issues and how to deal with personal sin issues and even talking about uh, our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so tonight we're going to talk about relationships and how relationships are definitely potential pitfalls. I would say out of all the potential pitfalls, I mean, personal sin issues for sure. Those are things that are going to hit you guys right between the eyes, right where you're at today. But this one is a close second. I have seen more high schoolers taken out by this topic than probably any other. It's because they don't know how to navigate relationships properly, which is why every single year we touch on this, and we have a huge series on relationships when it comes to your parents, when it comes to your siblings, when it comes to your friends, when it comes to dating, when it comes to just how to navigate these sorts of things, because there are so many people that are completely taken out. I have seen high schoolers that have been on fire. They have been wanting to do anything and everything that God wants them to do, but then something happens related to their family, They're friends or dating, and all of a sudden, they are rendered completely and totally ineffective. And in some ways, their testimony even becomes worse. I cannot tell you how many times. I mean, I could sit here, and I could list names over the course of the last 16 years that I've been involved in youth ministry of people that have just completely derailed, and my name is on that list as well. So this is dangerous territory, and we've got to talk about it. So we're going to see what the Bible has to say about relationships. Okay. So, common pitfall number two, we're going to talk about relationships. And we're going to kick it off by talking about family. <laughs> family. How'd you find So, this is Isaac's future family.
1: <laughs>
0: He's attracted to someone that looks very similar to him. So, anyway, this is the funniest picture I could find. There were several... Some were inappropriate, but some that were really, really, really funny. So anyway, all right, so we're going to talk about the family relationship first. All right, so back to your study sheet, if you're not too distracted by what's on the screen. All right, so family, and go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is the very first relationship we find in the Bible. We see God establishing the relationship between himself and mankind, and we see him bring about the relationship between... Adam and Eve, and we see them uh, reproducing after their kind and creating Cain and Abel and then later Seth. And so uh, I want to hit this just because it's it's just really important that we make sure that we set the record straight when it comes to family. All right. So God created and established the family unit. And it is one of three human institutions he divinely formed To help order our lives, and those institutions are the church, the family, and government, and those three references right there uh, show you different verses in the Bible that talk about how those are institutions divinely ordered by God, and it's there to help us. The family environment, it is the the one environment that has the greatest influence on our character and the direction of our years upon the earth. The enemies of God know this and unleash an all-out attack on this institution every day. And it is getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And so we'll talk about that. Okay, but I want you to see this when it comes to the family relationship. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. So during the days of creation, we hit verse 26 and it says... And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So we were made in the image of God, body, soul, and spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Then, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful. And multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. All right, just those three verses alone. What do you notice about man, woman, and what God has told them to do? Just general observations. What do you see? Be fruitful and multiply. Okay, so one of their jobs, responsibilities, was to be fruitful and to multiply, A.K.A. make babies. Right. So they were supposed to be fruitful and multiply. That was one of them. Right? I didn't get as many laughters as I thought I'd get out of oh, I don't get it. We'll talk later. Okay. <laughs> all <right. laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> okay. What else do you notice? Yeah. They're given
1: authority.
0: Yes. In fact, twice God says that they should have what's the word? Dominion.
1: <laughs> what? I missed it.
0: I missed it. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Okay. All right. Obviously, God's working some things in Andy, or working them out. Okay. (laughs) Always. All right. So, um, as a side note, pray for us as pastors, as JBI teachers, because Andy's entering into JBI this fall. Okay. So. (laughs) But believe me, it's not going to be the worst we've had. Okay. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Okay. All right. So to have dominion. So. It doesn't exactly say this, but when you look at this, they're the first man, the first woman, and they're given dominion. So if you want to think about it from this perspective, uh, God made Adam the king. And he made Eve the queen. And they were to have dominion over all of the earth. And so Adam was the first king. And so it's interesting when you find out later in the scriptures where it talks about in Romans where you have the first Adam and the second Adam, or the last Adam, and it talks about Jesus Christ. So Adam is a type of Christ. He's supposed to be that way. And God told him to be fruitful and multiply. Well, the same commission that God gave Adam is the same commission that God gave Jesus before he came. Be fruitful and to multiply. And that's exactly what he did. He multiplied disciples. And he gave us the discipleship process through John 17, which we've gone through many, many times, that we're supposed to do in this world. Evangelize. Make sure you teach people the Bible, and have them go out to evangelize and disciple the same way that they were discipled. It's a beautiful thing. And so here they're given dominion. And so God created man and woman after his image. That's the other thing that we can notice here. Uh, but those are the things that are that are indicated out of, out of that chapter. Now chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the grounds. This is how when God says, let us make man in our image, and he made them. This is how God made them. And, Lord, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So there you have the body. You have the spirit and you have the soul. So the three part being right there in verse seven. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he continues down through. And then he says in verse 15, and the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So he is supposed to keep and to dress and to make sure everything is in its proper order in the garden. And the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So God speaks to Adam and he gives him this one commandment outside of his responsibilities that were given to him. He tells him this commandment that they are not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then in verse 18 this is where the the story of Eve begins. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him in help for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found in help meat for him. Because remember, what was his mission? To be fruitful and multiply. So this is what he's looking for. He needs a help meat. He can't do it alone. He needs a helpmate. He needs someone to help him with this mission. Verse twenty-one, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of the one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. So this is the first surgery in the Bible. In fact, the guy who invented uh, the process of surgery, as far as putting someone to sleep, um, using drugs and other things to get them to the point where they are completely knocked out, he was a Bible believer. He read verse 21, and he he saw that it was possible to take someone into a a state where they were in such a deep sleep that you could perform surgery. And so he was actually the one that invented that whole process, and he believed the Bible. So this is the first time that it happened, as far as this this occurs, and God gave this concept here. In verse 22, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked and the man and his wife and they were not ashamed. So when you see the process here, this is very important. And we spent a lot of time talking about this in our relationship study, but I just want to give it to you in a nutshell. God makes Adam. He gives Adam responsibilities. He gives him a call. And he tells him, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. And God looks at him and says, you are incomplete. You can't do your mission without having a counterpart, a helpmeet, someone to help you with your mission. And so God has this relationship with Adam already. It exists. And then he brings all of creation in front of Adam and he starts naming all the creatures. And there wasn't found a suitable helpmeet to help him be fruitful and multiply, to be faithful to the command that God had given him. So then God performs the first surgery and creates... The woman. And now there is a suitable help me to help the man. See, a lot of people look at this and they see, well, that's just sexist. Or that's, you know, Adam, he's a womanizer or whatever. And they started throwing all these, these terms around uh, because of the culture that we live in. But here's the reality the man can't do the job without the woman. So you tell me, how important is the woman's job? Very important. The man cannot fulfill his responsibility without her. He can't do it. He can't do it before God without her. And likewise, she can't without him. So there is an equality before God between men and women that exists. But in leadership, talking about leadership, God has made the man the leader of the home. Because you can't have two leaders. It's impossible. I mean, try having... I mean, in your guys' schools, you guys might have multiple principals, but there's one head principal, right? Okay, It has to work that way because if you don't, now you're going to have huge conflicts and that's a biblical approach. And that's why God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit have an order to their leadership. All of them are equal. God, the father's God, God, the son is God. God, the Holy spirit is God. They are all the same person. And yet there is an authority because you have God, the father and the son submits to the authority of the father and the spirit submits to the authority of Jesus. And so this is something that's very normal, but in our world today, it's becoming more and more of a foreign language. But God instituted this union, and the sole purpose of this union was to bring glory and honor to God. Marriage today, and dating relationships, and in the family, it's all about me, 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 me. And you better believe that is a tactic of the devil in order to get people to divide the home and to have many, many conflicts in the home. Okay, so that's in a nutshell, the family relationship. So what are some of the potential pitfalls that you will face when it comes to family relationships? And maybe some of you struggle with this more than others, uh, but this is definitely something that is a potential pitfall. So the first thing when it comes to the family is fearing family instead of God, fearing family instead of God. And secondly, it's prioritizing the family over God. I have seen this happen so many times. And when I use the term fearing, because I use the term fear for both family and for friends and for dating, for all three, I mean it in the terms of having a, a respect for your family, having a, 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 almost like a, an adoration for your family, um, almost something that should be reserved for God alone, that you almost worship your family, you respect and you adore your family over God. That's what we're talking about. And there's a lot of people that do this. They prioritize their family instead of God. And so um, I just want to look at at really just one example for this one. Um, Matthew 4 is a great one, but let's look at 1 Samuel 17. Take a look at 1 Samuel 17. This is an example of a positive experience, but you can definitely see the tension that exists in this family situation. So 1 Samuel 17, uh, this is the story of David and Goliath. And you find out from reading the story in its context that David's older brothers have gone to the battle. They're already at the battle. And David is back taking care of the sheep. He's the youngest. It was part of his responsibility. And his father asked him to go and take some supplies to his brothers and also to see how they're doing. And so then David then goes to check out what's going on and to give those things to his brothers. So in verse 20, it says, and David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle for Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. So he went and he found his brothers. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that, that has come up? Surely to defy Israel as is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel." And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man which killeth this Philistine and taketh away the the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And then look what happened. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, what have I now done? What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And then he continues to go around to all the men and say, S- will someone go? Will someone go? I mean, this guy is mocking God. He is defying the God of heaven. We know what the Bible says. Anyone who defies God, man, they're against God. So who's going to go out and fight this guy because they will surely win? He's trying to get someone to be obedient. And see, Eliab, his older brother, I think personally, my opinion, that he was convicted because his little brother showed more courage and more strength and more godliness than anything that he showed. And he's supposed to be the oldest. He's supposed to be the one that carries the family forward to be the leader. And here he sees his little brother outshining him. And so then he starts to accuse him of these great things. And so David had a a choice to make. Was he going to fear his family or was he going to fear God? Because it's clear that his older brother was wrong, right? Clearly. His oldest brother was absolutely wrong. And so he had a choice to make. Am I going to listen to my older brother and am I going to keep my mouth shut and am I going to just go back home? Or am I going to keep getting around here and getting these guys, I mean, kicking them in the rear end to say, who's going to go out and fight? And finally, no one wants to fight. And so then David goes out. I mean, not even a single day in training. Like, he wasn't trained among the men to be the fighters in the army. Like, at all. And yet, he's the one that goes out there because he's the only one that's willing. And man, I could just, I mean, I can feel the tension between his family. Can you imagine what his brothers thought of him after he killed Goliath? There would have definitely been mixed emotions. They would have been ticked and jealous, but at the same time, happy for their brother that now they're famous, you know? So you can see this tension. And this happens to us all the time, because I feel like there there are people that God convicts them to be obedient, and they know it in their heart, and yet... When they come back from camp, or when they come back home, or they come, and they might have even an environment in their house where, like the mom or the dad or both, just do not walk with God and are not on the same page, it can just put a huge (laughs) on any fire that God's starting in your heart. And then, rather being obedient to what God has called you to do, you allow your family to quench what God wants to accomplish. And it's very easy to do. It's very easy. And there's a lot of people that fall into it. So you have to be careful. You've got to be aware. So that's an issue. The second thing that we see is prioritizing the family over God. Prioritizing the family over God. And there's a lot of people that will very, very gladly um, go ahead and make family plans that interfere with church, and sometimes they do it on purpose. And that really frustrates me. It really, really does. Um, I know as far as me and my family's concerned, we try to make every, every opportunity to make sure that church is a priority. Like even when we're not doing well, or we're just tired and we're exhausted, we try to do everything that we can to make church a priority. We have to, we must for the sake of my family. But there's a lot of people that are just lazy. They're just lazy when it comes to these things and they begin to plan other things ahead of God. And that is something that is very, very easy to do. Um, my wife struggles with this. You know, she grew up in a house where her family—they um, worshipped each other. They worshipped the family. Family time was the most important time. And we have we have many discussions. We've had many discussions throughout the years about how that it's just it's it kind of goes against her nature because she was raised in a place where yeah, church was important, but family was more important. And how I'm like no, because I was raised the opposite. So it's very easy for me because I was raised in a household where yeah, family's important, but church is more important. And so we get our family there and that's what we do. And we make sure that we make room for all these things. And it's something that we've had to really work through throughout the years. And, um, and so it's just these things that exist and there are many families that do it. And it's hard because your family is very important, right? I mean, it's a very important thing, but at the same time, is family more important than God? (laughs) That family needs God for sure. (laughs) No, it's not. Like, it's not. I mean, imagine one day when you give an account for your life and you stand before God and throughout your life you chose family over him. Like in that day, like I'm glad we sang that song well done tonight. I'm really glad. I love that song. But in that day, what is going to matter?
1: That's a question, guys.
0: (laughs) I mean, the things that we did for the Lord That's the only thing that really matters. So I'm not saying neglect your family because that's wrong. You need to have a good testimony. You need to be around your family. You need to share them with them, the love of Christ. You need to be bold. You need to be godly. You need to do all those things. But you can't, you've got to be careful to not prioritize your family over God. You've got to really, really be careful. Um, Let's go to Luke. um, eh, Yeah, let's go to Luke. Luke 14. Luke
1: 14.
0: And uh, I'm going to have someone else go to Matthew 10. So, Matthew 10, 34 through 39. Carson, you can take that one. Okay. So, Luke 14, take a look at verse 26. <clears throat> If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That's pretty strong language. I mean he uses the term hate there. If you come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, children, brethren, and sisters in your own life, you can't be my disciple. Now the way Jesus is speaking here, he's not saying that you're supposed to hate your family. He's making a comparative illustration. If any man come to me. So if any person comes to God and says, God, I am yours. I belong to you. I want to follow you. I worship you. I want to give you everything that I have. And okay, you can do that. But if you're not willing to give to me, your family, your spouse, your children, your own life, you can't be my disciple. It said similar in the Matthew 10. Go ahead and read that one, Carson. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I am come not to send peace earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword, for I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me
1: is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall shall lose it. And he that loses it, his life shall, for my sake
0: shall okay when you choose to love God over the other people in your life, it's going to cause division It's just gonna happen um, and mainly it's gonna happen because that other person in your family uh, does not love God the same way you do now. If that were the case, and you say, you've got, you say you've got a great relationship between you and your mom, or you and your dad, or you and your siblings, or whatever, say you have a great relationship, if you choose God, and you love God more than them, and they choose God and love God more than you, then you're going to have a great relationship, because you're going to have everything in common, and you can help each other out, and you can hold each other accountable, and you can push each other, and you can challenge each other, and it will be fantastic. It'll be the best relationship that you've ever had, but... If you're in a scenario where you choose to love God over those people and they then don't like that because they don't love God the same way that you do, well, now there's going to be some issues. And that's where I've seen a lot of teenagers just completely fall out of the boat because they end up choosing their family over God. So, and there's some dynamics that are difficult in order to how to, how to talk about that. And really it's the last part of the study sheet is you got to learn how to honor lost and wayward family members while being obedient to God. And that is not an easy dynamic to follow. And so we'll talk about that once we get down to the bottom. All right, so there's that. So prioritizing family over God and fearing family instead of God. Those are some huge pitfalls when it comes to the family dynamics. All right, let's talk about friends. Okay, friends. So God created us as, as relational beings. That is so true. It is expected that we have relationships with others The Bible teaches that our friends must be chosen wisely because they will greatly influence nearly every aspect of our lives. And there are many verses in Proverbs that we could have thrown out there. um, But I really want to focus on this. Here's the potential pitfalls when it comes to your friends. Fearing friends instead of God. Caring about their opinion over what God thinks. Huge, huge. And secondly, prioritizing social status over godliness. Um, And that is a huge temptation as well when it comes to friendships. All right, some of you do Proverbs 29, 25. Who wants that one? Isaac, you can take that one. Everybody else go to John. We're going to walk through John a little bit. There's some really good verses in the book of John that illustrate this very, very well. So while Jesus was walking on the planet, this issue came up several times, several times. So let's talk about fearing friends instead of God, almost worshiping your friends rather than worshiping God in your life, caring more about what other people think rather than what God thinks. All right, and Isaac, when you get to Proverbs 29, 25, go ahead and read that one. All right, one time, louder. Okay, the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. If you choose to fear men, it is going to be a snare to you. It's going to entrap you. But if you decide to put your trust in God, you will be safe. Okay, so remember that as we go through this. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. All right, so here you have have Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to him, and this whole concept of being born again, he doesn't really understand. But I want you to notice something. So, verse 1 There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And the same came to Jesus when? By night. And said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Okay, there is not a Pharisee alive during this time that would openly admit that. Not a single one. So why do you think he came by night? So yes, yeah, so no one else would know, so he wouldn't get caught. He was hiding it. There's a lot of people that hide God. They'll go to God whenever it's convenient. And I tell you, one of the times I was really challenged on this is when I was at school and I had the opportunity to pray before I ate and open up my Bible in study hall. (laughs) I'm telling you, it's hard sometimes, isn't it? It's really hard. You feel your flesh is like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, because you're thinking you're going to look like a weirdo. Because you do look like a weirdo. I'm sorry. It does. It's weird. It's strange. But man, what a great opportunity to exercise your faith and to show people that you love God. When you take your Bible out in public, when you have an opportunity to talk to somebody about the gospel or invite them to church, it's weird, it's strange, it's odd. But man, what a great opportunity. And so here Nicodemus was ashamed. Now we find out at the end of John, he actually became a disciple of Jesus. So he ended up forsaking it all, but it was a process. And so I love that about Nicodemus. He's a great example that you can struggle with something for a period of time and God is still good to you. Uh, and he allows us to go through processes as long as we come out on the other side of being more obedient. So that's in chapter 3. Go to chapter 9. Chapter 9. John chapter 9. John chapter 9. All right, so this is the man that was born blind. And this was an amazing miracle because no one has ever healed a man that was born blind. So Jesus shows up and does it. And it makes a huge ruckus in the town. And so the Pharisees find out about it and they start to uh, basically uh, interrogate him and try to figure out what's going on. And so they're like, you know what? We need to ask his parents. And so verse 18, it says, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them saying, is this your son who ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son. And that he was born blind, but by what means we he now seeth we know not, or who hath opened his eyes, we know not he is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, that he should be put out of the synagogue, therefore his parents said he is of age, ask him, see, they didn't want to answer, they knew who did it. I bet you, that after this man. Received his sight, he went home first. Like, it doesn't say that, but that's just my guess. And they're like, Mom, Dad, I'm telling you, I met the Messiah. I don't know what he looks like, because he healed me, and then he was gone. But I'm telling you, it was him. He's here, he's in the town, he healed me. And and they would have been floored. And there's no doubt that they would have become believers. They would have believed in whoever this guy is. But then, the Pharisees call him in, and they're like, Okay, what's going on here? Well, I mean, he's a faith. just ask him, because they were afraid. They feared the Pharisees rather than fearing God. But this guy was bold. I mean, this guy was so bold. And so here, I want you to see, this is so cool. And he says, uh, okay, verse 24, we'll just pick up right there. Verse 24, then again, called they the man that was blind and to him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. So they're talking about Jesus. They're saying, yeah, we know Jesus is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know that whereas I was blind, now I see. Then said he, to, then said they to him again, what did he, what did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and ye did not hear. Wherefore, would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? They would have been like, oh, like so ticked. And so that's where they ended up reviling him and kicking him out. But I love this. He was very bold. He was very, very bold. And so then Jesus shows up and the man worships him and becomes a disciple of Jesus afterward. So his parents were afraid. Now go over to chapter 12. Chapter 12. So Jesus is continuing to do many miracles publicly. He's preaching and teaching publicly. He's proving the fact that he's the Messiah. And there's an interesting phrase found in John chapter 12. Take a look at verse... um, 42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. So these guys believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they never confessed him as the Messiah publicly because they knew they would lose their status. And there is a lot of us that struggle with this because sometimes I feel like if we open up our mouth, we take a risk, we're going to be put out. We're going to lose something among our friends and among other people and among our classmates and among our family and among whoever else. And that might be the case. It might be the case. But I'm telling you, think about it. Think through it. What's better? I mean, what's better? Being in the in crowd and being accepted and shutting your mouth and not saying a word about Jesus or being thrown out and having peace in your heart with God. Generally. But it's hard. It's hard to come to that place. It really is. But that's a struggle. And so that's where we really struggle with that. And we can struggle with prioritizing social status over godliness. And so for this one, I wanted to show you a different one. Go to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2. Just to show you... That just because someone might be an all-star Christian doesn't mean they don't struggle with this. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. All right, so Paul wrote Galatians, and there was a circumstance that unfolded where there was a, a confrontation between Paul and Peter. So Galatians chapter 2. Okay, and take a look at... Um, all right, verse 9. So Paul just explains in the verses preceding that he is the apostle unto the Gentiles while Peter is the apostle unto the Jews. And then it says, And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, re- perceived that the grace was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And other Jews dissembled likewise with him insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I I saw... That they walk not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compelst thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. And he continues. So Peter had to, com- to had to be confronted by Paul. See what happened was, and you can go back and you say this in the book of Acts. There were some Jews that said, Okay. Yeah, you guys that are Gentiles, you guys can be saved. That's fine. But in order for you guys to actually be saved, you need to be circumcised. You need to obey the law. You need to do all these things that other Jewish people do. But then they proved by looking at the scriptures and what unfolded that that was not the case, that people are saved by faith alone. So in Antioch, is was mostly Jews and Gentiles, but basically Gentiles. So it was mainly Gentiles. So Paul was working there and Peter was there. And so they were working together. Oh, I forgot to advance it, my bad. When want you to see this picture. This is awesome. This is friends. I'd take a bullet for you. Not in the head, but like the leg or something. That's like friends. Okay. So Peter was in Antioch with Paul, and they were ministering together. And so what happened was is that while they were together, he was eating with the Gentiles, and he was, you know, probably eating pork and doing all that kind of stuff, too, because before they weren't allowed to eat pig at all or anything like that. There are certain things in the law. So he's with the Gentiles, and they're eating, and they're probably eating meats that were sacrificed unto idols, and they were exercising their liberty. They were all together, and he's now doing things that before, when he was a Jew, the, he wasn't allowed to do. But now that the, the law is over, and now he's in Christ, he has the freedom to now do those things. So he does all this stuff, and then all of a sudden, some other guys come into town. And these Jews are still Jews. They don't like Christianity, they don't like the freedom found in Christianity. Peter knows those guys, and now he's like, all right, guys, uh, time for me to go. Um, Some people came into town. I need to greet them. And really what found out is that he was actually afraid of those guys' opinion over them. And then if you notice what it said, others followed Peter in sin. They now became afraid because of the Jews that came in, and so they followed Peter in his mistake. So here's the whole lesson for us to learn. When you prioritize friends over God, and you choose to fear your friends and obey your friends and allow them to control you, you will be a bad influence on other believers because they're going to do the exact same things that you do. When you're in those moments and you feel the awkward, like, you know, I got to do this, you need to take a stand. Not just for your own sake and your own walk with God, but for other Christians around you because other people are watching you. They're watching what you say. They're watching what you do. They're watching what you don't do, and if you choose to fear people over God, then you are going to cause other people to stumble into sin as well. So you got to be careful. Okay, so there is that. All right, so now let's talk about dating, which is the one I know everyone wants to talk about anyway. Okay, <laughs> I love this one. <laughs> this is one of my favorites. Okay, yeah, dating is cool, but you ran stuff for pizza. Okay, so dating. So let's talk about dating. All right. So God created the institution of marriage as a covenantal union between a man and a woman. There are many things God teaches and illustrates in marriage, but the main illustration is the relationship between God and Israel and Christ and the church. Those are two things that is clearly illustrated by the marriage covenant. In our culture, even though marriage is becoming less and less popular, which it certainly is, dating leads to engagement and engagement leads to marriage. That is so true. Every date's a potential mate. remember that one. Every date's a potential mate. Dating leads to engagement and engagement leads to marriage. Therefore, who you date, how you date, and your overall motive in the dating process, flesh versus the spirit, will greatly determine your success or failure in its process. This is very important because I have no doubt in my mind that dating and the pressures of dating exist um, on you guys every single year. I remember that it really began man when I was super young. I mean I was trying to think back I mean there was always weird you know, I remember in second grade girls passing notes to guys and guys passing notes to girls, do you like me yes or no? You know, all that kind of fun stuff. Um what are things
1: where they
0: you open the paper. Catchers?
1: Cootie
0: catchers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I forget what, what they're mean? called. Yeah.
1: you weren't even yeah,
0: I do you'll <laughs> <a moron. laughs> You guys <text> stupid emojis. <laughs> All right, so anyway, so anyway. <laughs> whoa, 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 hey now. All right. We like our
1: little yellow
0: faces. <laughs> hey, that's extremely racist. All right, so, so, all right, moving on, moving on. Okay, don't worry, we only have about maybe 25 people that stream our podcast anyway. Okay, all right, so anyway. So when it comes to this, I know that the pressures are there, and especially, I mean, it kind of, I mean, it starts before middle school, because it's kind of there, because there's a lot of social status weird nuances that are there, but, I mean, the pressure's really on when it comes to high school, and you kind of feel weird, especially when other people are dating and you're not, or even if other people are dating in the youth ministry and others aren't, and... And then it just gets worse when you graduate because now you're supposed to be an adult and you see other people getting married and you might still be single. And so there's just weird dynamics. And I hate all of it because your flesh capitalizes on all of it and takes advantage of it. And it will really drag you down. It really, really drags you down. And so you have to navigate these things with great caution while walking with God. So let's talk about these potential pitfalls. There's really two fearing self instead of God, worshiping yourself rather than god fearing yourself rather than god and secondly prioritizing your lustful desire over god's will i mean those are really two when you boil it all down and you want to get to the nuts and bolts of it these are the two big things so let's go to judges 14 judges 14 i want you to see this judges 14 one of my favorite guys in the old testament is samson some great lessons out of the life of Samson, but also some really bad examples as well. Judges 14. All right. So rather going with whatever you feel like rather than what God thinks is really the core of it. And Samson, verse 1, chapter 14. And Samson went down to Timnath. And saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Hey, I mean, first of all, can you imagine being the parents of Samson? I mean, that dude ripped, divinely ripped. And he comes in. (laughs) I mean, it's true and he's dad i saw a woman go get her for me uh oh okay i mean i just picture that like oh okay see i said i don't know why i just picture that but then they challenge it because look at verse three then his father and his mother they probably did it together because he was too afraid just kidding um then his father and his mother said unto him is there is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren, or among all my people, that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. All right. Was it
1: like 14?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a chapter number. All right. <laughs> so, you look at that circumstance, and it's like, hmm. Now it says in verse 4, But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. For that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Now, God was going to use this decision because God says, I have I have a reason behind this. Like, yes, he's going to go and he's going to do this, but I'm going to use it so I can get glory over the Philistines. But still, this was not a good decision to make. I mean, God will use your disobedience for his glory, but don't make him. I mean, do what's right and God will even get more glory. But anyway, Samson was very prideful. Uh, in this perspective and so he said this so he saw a woman he lusted after her came in and demanded yep she's it." they came against him and told him the truth biblically and he wouldn't have it and said you know what just go get her for me she pleases me all right (laughs) and so he did and you can read about what happened afterward so don't be like samson but the second corinthians 6 that's the passage that we go to that talks about being not unequally yoked together with unbelievers Um, and so i love this passage it's such a good one because it says what do what do these two things have in common? Like what does light have in common with darkness? Nothing. What does Christ have in common with Beelzebub or Belial as it says in that passage? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And so it's more than just dating. Like, yes, dating applies to that passage. If someone is lost, they should not even be an option. Because there are people that are saved and they're still they still shouldn't be an option. Because they're not walking with God and they're not godly. So you want someone that you are like-minded with. And just because someone's saved does not mean that you're like-minded. That's like the basics. That might be the foundational, but that can't be, well, I can date them because they're saved. No, baloney. No, you want someone in your life that not only is saved, but they love God and they're walking with God. And a great question to ask yourself is, do they make me more faithful to God? Or do they make me more unfaithful to God? I mean, that is a great question to ask. Do they make you a better minister of Jesus Christ to the lost, to this world, to other Christians? Or do they make you a worse minister? Those are, I mean, questions that most teenagers will never want to ask. They might think them, they might hear it, but they'll never want to ask because they want their heart to take the lead. And they justify it in every way that they can, even though it's a dumb decision to make. So fearing self instead of God, you worship yourself instead of God. And you end up prioritizing your lustful desire over God's will. And you're going to act like the devil when you do that. I act like the devil when I do that. I'm guilty of it. Isaiah 14, that's exactly what he did. Uh, He said, I, 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 it was all about him. He didn't care what God's role for him was. He didn't care about what God wanted for him. He wanted what he wanted, end of story. And that's where sin was birthed. And that was Isaiah 14. Go to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. Another bad example, but another good one to look at in the scriptures. 1 Kings chapter 11. Solomon. Solomon. Solomon is very unique in the Bible. He is a type of Christ, and he's a type of the Antichrist. And sometimes he looks like man. That is a great example to follow. And other times he looks exactly like the devil. And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference, which is why he's a great picture of both. And so in chapter eleven, you have great things happening. Israel is at the peak. I mean, there's so many great things happening in the nation of Israel. They are at peace. They have a great king who is full of wisdom. He fears God. They dedicated the temple. I mean, amazing, amazing things have happened. They are, as far as a worldwide power, they controlled everything. The kingdom of Solomon up to chapter 10 is a type of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes and establishes his kingdom, his authority, and his dominion, it's going to look a lot like Solomon's up to chapter 10. But then you take a look at chapter 11, and this is where things begin to go downhill. Technically, they start to go downhill Back in chapter 10, around verse 16. But here you start to see more of the fruition of it. Verse 1. But King Solomon loved many... What's the phrase? Strange. Strange women. Strange women. Together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel... Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. And Solomon went after Asherah, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build an high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice in a commandment concerning this thing. So God even told him directly, dude, don't do it. But see, God showed up twice face to face and talked to him. But it also says this exact same thing in Deuteronomy seventeen seventeen. God told them, God told them, if you do this, if you go after strange women, if you go after many women, it's going to turn your heart away after their gods. It's going to, it's going to do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. So he had three testimonies. God showed up twice, he and told him, and he had the word of God, because it's also commanded in Deuteronomy 17. They're supposed to write out a copy of the law. So Solomon had his own handwritten copy of the Bible that told him exactly, don't do this. But it says he clave unto them in love. And this is what happens when you follow your lustful desire or any other desire that might come up. It's all lust. But when it comes down to your lustful desire to be in a relationship, it will, it will, it will turn your heart away. It will. You can say whatever you want. You can believe whatever you want, but it's going to turn your heart away. It will. You date someone who is a Christian who is not walking with God. It is going to turn your heart away. It's not just lost people. I'm talking about people that are not walking with God. It's going to turn your heart away, and you will regret it. You will. You will. And so that is a huge, huge pitfall. Huge pitfall. It is better to be single for the rest of your life than to be with the wrong person. Every time. Every single time. The problem is being content with that. And that can be a struggle because there's a lot of people that are not content with it just being them and God. Man, it's hard. It's hard. And I get it because I felt it. Okay, so how can we overcome these potential pitfalls? How can we do it? Because there's three things we need to learn. We need to learn how to honor lost and wayward family members while being obedient to God. We need to learn how to use the social setting to honor and glorify the Lord. And we need to learn how to deny self, trust God, and follow facts over feelings. So how in the world do we do that? All right. Let's go to Luke nine and um, somebody take Matthew six thirty three. Matthew six thirty three. You got that one. And then uh, Proverbs three five through seven. Emily. All right. Everyone else go to Luke nine and then we'll be done here. Luke nine. So how do we do this? <clears throat> All right. So, first verse, Matthew 6 33. Go to you, Timmy. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Oh, I love this verse. This is such a great memory verse. Mm-hmm. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. See, the context of that one is that they're worried about what am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? What am I going to do? What am I going to Just make your list. Whatever your worries are. And God's like, All right, hold on, pause the list. Seek me first. Seek my kingdom first. Seek righteousness first. And all this stuff will be added unto you. Don't worry about it. Just follow me. Follow me. Seek my kingdom. Seek righteousness in your life. And I will add these things unto you. The issue is, do we believe that? Because family, friends, dating, I mean, these are sensitive areas. And a lot of us are not willing to give that over to God and say, all right, God, I believe you. I know I feel this way. You know I feel this way. I need help because you're telling me I need to seek your kingdom first and I'm supposed to do righteousness. And you're telling me that all these things are going to be added unto me. Okay. And see, this is where faith has to come into play. You got to choose to obey God. Regardless how you feel, you got to choose to obey God. Yeah, you might feel like caving into your family. You might feel like, you know, trying to adapt and, 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 and fit right in with your friends. You might feel like, well, this person likes me and they like me back and I love the way they make me feel. Okay, yeah, I understand. And all those stuff, that's, that's real, okay? And to have those temptations and those feelings and those desires is not wrong in and of itself. But are you going to choose to believe God over what you feel? Most Christians don't. They're not willing to do it. They're just not willing to do it. But that is the truth. That's how we use social settings to honor and glorify God. That's how we learn to deny ourselves, trust God, and follow our facts. Follow the facts over our feelings. Take a look at Luke 9. Luke 9, 23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. I love how he throws in daily there. And follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake... The same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? I love these verses. If you want to find your life, you have to give it up. This is a very hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do as a teenager. It's a very hard thing to do as an adult. In order to get the life that God has for you, you have to abandon what you want and your plans and your desires. It's hard. Because growing up, I always had certain thoughts about like who I was going to marry, my career and what I was going to do, and like how things were going to go, like all that stuff. And I had to learn to say, okay, God, whatever you want. I know I got my thoughts and my plans and my ideas, but... Honestly, if it's not what you want for me, then why would I want it for myself? That is very hard to do. But if you are willing to let that go, then you will find your life. You will find what you were made for. You will find the thing that you're seeking. Because here's what happens. If you're not willing to do that, you may gain the whole world, verse 25, but you're going to lose yourself. This happens all the time with people. People. They adopt the ways of this world, and they lose who they are, and they they suffer an identity crisis. They have no idea who they are, and a lot of them end up committing suicide as a result because they keep pulling, I want this. I want to be a part of this. I want to act like this. I want to wear these things. I want to have this stuff. I want to have this money. I want to have, and they think that their identity is found in the getting of all these things, and in doing so, they lose themselves, and they lose their lives. It's exactly what Jesus said. So if you're willing to give God complete and utter control of your life, then you'll be able to find what He has had planned for you all along. But that is very hard. That is very, very hard. Another verse that I absolutely love that helps me with this is Proverbs three five through seven. Go ahead and read that, Emily. Trust
1: the Lord with all thine heart, and not unto thine own understanding. all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in
0: thine own eyes, the Lord Man, we could do a study just on those three verses alone. So when you're in the moment, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Oh my gosh, I feel like it's like deja vu from yesterday with my parenting. Because there's a certain way that we see things. There's a certain perspective that we have. There's a certain understanding that we have based on our point of view. And God says, don't lean on that. And there's so, there's so many times where we just we hang on to that stuff and, and this is what I want and this is what I need and this is what will make me someone. And God's like, no, 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 no. Trust in me. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. So how do you do that? In all of your ways, acknowledge him. So in everything that you're doing, when it comes to your career, when it comes to someone that you want to date, when it comes to your friends, when it comes to your parents, when it comes to whatever it is, acknowledge God in that thing, whatever it is. Okay, there's this opportunity. There's this here. Like, okay, I've got someone that I'm really interested in dating. All right, so I have that right in front of me. God, do you want them for me? Honestly, I kind of want it. They want it. But do you want it? Because if you don't want it, I shouldn't want it. And so I want to stay away. Career path. I have the opportunity to go and to do this. But God, Do you want it for me? In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. He shall. It's a promise. If you're willing to go to him and get his opinion and his counsel and to spend time with him on it, he will direct you. I love that. And then it says, and I love verse 7. There's so many people that memorize 5 and 6, but they leave out 7. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Okay, We can justify our decisions on anything. And you can even use the Bible to do it. I have seen so many people do it. I've done it myself. And it is wrong. Be not wise in their own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Fear God. Because when you fear God, you can't twist scripture. When you fear God, your wisdom means nothing. It's God's wisdom that means everything. So these are things that can really direct. So. I I wanted to spend a lot more time on this stuff, but I want to get through this series. And I wanted to give you guys enough stuff that you can take this stuff home and really dive into this a little bit more because these are very critical, critical things that if you don't obey what God has laid out for you, then you are going to be completely inactive when it comes to your relationship with God. Okay, that was a lot. All right, so any questions? There's a lot to process. But any questions at all on anything like that? Or even how to deal with some of that stuff?
1: Anything? Yeah. So I have a couple of friends who aren't Christians at all. Yeah. They know that I'm a Christian. I mean, we've had conversations about it before. Do you have any advice on how to find, like, a balance between, like, not putting them over the head with the Bible, but at the same time trying to have, like, conversations with what are meaningful with
0: them? Yes. So, um, I firmly think that God will use you as you are with them. I think there's a lot of times, because I've looked at a lot of different like evangelism methods, and I've looked at, you know, there's this idea, and there's that idea, and there's this here. But I have found that when I am walking with God, and I'm spending time with Him, and I'm reading His Word, as I come in contact with people, the things that I'm reading, the things that I'm experiencing in my relationship with God are the things that are that are going to come out of my mouth and that I need to speak to them at that time. Um, I have tried to work harder at being more bold when it comes to, like, let's say I meet someone in public, because um, this happens all the time. Like, I go in and I get my hair cut. I have an easy in because, you know, I'm asking them their profession. Like, oh, so what do you do? I'm like, oh, well, thanks for asking. And then I just tell them. Um, But there are things like that that you can easily get in there. So, like, let's say something comes up with your friends and they're talking about a particular topic. Or, you know, like if something comes up, I don't know, even politically now, like that's probably going to come up, Black Lives Matter or, you know, stuff that's going on or the election or whatever. Like you you could creatively take that and just, okay, how can I take this and just turn this into a spiritual conversation? So, like, for example... You know, some people might have opinions about, well, I hope Donald Trump doesn't get elected, you know, and, and I'm like, I want, you know, Joe Biden, even though he can't remember anything and he has amnesia and, and he's going to make a great president. So you can have that kind of discussion. But in that discussion, what you could really do is say, you know, honestly, um, I do have opinions, but I know at the end of the day, um, God's in control. And you just say something like that. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, <laughs> but now you've got an open door of saying, you know, I, if I were to vote. I would vote this way, and I've got my opinions, but honestly, at the end of the day, if it goes the other way, it really doesn't matter because I'm still going to follow the Lord, and he's in control, and it says in Proverbs that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it, whitherever he will. And so even if someone else gets elected into office, you know, it might usher in the rapture just a little bit earlier, and then you're like, what are you talking about? But it's just one of those things where you could take that and just go, you know? So anything like that that comes up, like Black Lives Matter, I, I had conversations with my oldest, Because she saw a sign and she's like, dad, what does that mean? And I'm like, okay. And I said, now, when you hear the statement, black lives matter, is that a true statement? And she said, yes. I said, exactly. I agree with the statement wholeheartedly. But when people make that statement, this is what they're actually saying. And so then I mentioned it. I mentioned that. But then I turned that into a spiritual side. I said, because when you really look at it from the Bible's perspective, when a person becomes born again, that they're no longer... Of any race, they're actually a brand new creature. Second Corinthians five seventeen in Christ. So someone that was black, was white, was Mexican, they're no longer those things because in Christ there are no races, and I can have that kind of conversation. And I bet you, you know, you'll get some lively discussions out of something like that. But that's what I tend to do is is I'm having conversations, I'm bringing in aspects of my relationship with God in it, just to kind of put something out there, and just kind of see where it goes. Because then they're going to ask you questions. Now, why do you think that? And then it's going to just kind of keep going. So I have found that the most effective for me. Um, Just because it's more relational, and I tend to be more that way anyway. Um, Because I do care. I care too much about what people think. So when I'm in those circumstances, I'd rather be bold enough to exercise my relationship in the midst of people and have good discussions. And then come out at the end of it and say, hey, you know what? You may not agree, and that's fine. doesn't mean that we can't be friends and have that kind of conversation. So, does that help? Okay. All right. Sorry if I revealed some of my political leanings. <laughs> All right. What else we got? Any other questions? Okay. All right, sweet. Please think about this stuff. And if there are any questions, please do not hesitate to ask because it's not easy navigating family dynamics. It's not easy navigating the dynamics of friendship. It's not easy navigating the dating scene. It's just not. And we want to be here for you guys as you're working through some of these things um, because sometimes our emotions are just way too loud and we let that rule instead of God's, God's voice, God's word. So. Voice about
1: duty, <laughs> yeah,
0: about what not to do. <laughs> All right. All right, let's get someone to close in prayer. I
1: think
0: Elliot could. Sam volunteered and I called Sam him a lady not. earlier so he can do it. <laughs> All right, good, Sam.
1: Dearly, Father, uh, just thank you this day. Lord, thank you that we got to come and just meet as a youth group again on Tuesday nights. Lord, just thank you for the lesson that Stephen taught. pray that each one of us takes this lesson home and, Lord, just applies it to our lives. or that it um, home with one of us, or all of us, um, in any area, Lord, but that we just don't let it go. Lord, I pray that if this is a pitfall somebody is in right now, um, Lord, that they turn to you or they trust you, they acknowledge you, Lord, and that do you direct their path to where they can come out of it. Um, Lord, I pray that we can also be an encouragement to each other, Lord, that you know coming out of camp and where it's been a month, Lord, that we're not falling into sin or falling into these relationship issues. Um, and ultimately, Lord, that we just turn to you. Lord, I pray that we just have fun getting ice cream, Lord, and just throughout the rest of the week, Lord, that we can glorify you and also just throughout the school year. Um, as crazy as it's going to be, Lord, that we stay focused on eternity and glorify you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. back.